Well, good morning, good morning. Hope everybody's doing well this morning. How great thou art. That's a beautiful song, isn't it? Thanks for getting up with me early this morning here. Uh, winter morning that it is, and just trying to get through the winter time. I don't know if winter has the effects that it has on me, but yeah, I got the candle going. I hope you're sitting by the fire. hope you have uh, a little coffee maybe or a little tea to go with you in the Word of God here on this early winter morning here. It's been a good time here getting into this new year here and, and I'm certainly enjoying Nehemiah 9. Did you enjoy that last time? Went through the the revival in New York City of of 1857 and I thought that was so special to have that little account and I and I hope that I hope you can take encouragement from that. But with that, let's get into Nehemiah 9 here. It is quite a nice chapter here. Let's get into uh Nehemiah 9 and we read a, f- a few verses last time on that, but let's c- continue on with Nehemiah 9 and I plan to uh read the first handful of verses, make a few comments on it, and then I'm going to read their prayer that they have as well. So here we go. Nehemiah 9. Now in the the 24th day of this month, the children of Israel were assembled with fasting and sackcloth and with dust on their heads. Then those of, of Israelite lineage separated themselves from all foreigners, and they stood and confessed their sins and their iniquities of their fathers. And they stood up in their place and read from the book of the law of the Lord their God for one-fourth of the day, and for another fourth they confessed and worshipped the Lord their God. Then Joshua, Bene, Kadmiel, Shebaniah, Buni, Sherebiah, Bani, and Shanina. Shanani stood on the stairs of the Levites and cried out with a loud voice to the Lord their God. I just want to take a moment right there and pause and see how the effects of the word of God came down on these folk. There is a literal, you know, when we when we hear about revivals today, and from time to time there is a revival thing that comes up, I will say that there is a specific thing that happens in revivals as given to us by the Word of God. And so with that, I'd like to share with you some very, very summarizing notes. They heard the Word of God last chapter, and they were feasting and enjoying. Remember, it turned to weeping, and they said, don't weep. But now in in this chapter, the effects of it, later on in that month, they find themselves fasting, and then they had separation, and then in a head confession. So let's go back to that. So in the fasting side of things, you know, obviously they it's interesting the fact is, is they they were now prostrate before God, right? And they say, and we see that early on in the chapter here where they were in sackcloth, right? And earth upon them. And that is an interesting thing. Today, you know, fasting, you know, I had my my Indian brother over in India ask me a question here some months ago when we were working together on a project. He says, Mark, do you do fasting? Ooh, ah, that's a convicting thing. And I am convinced that it's not just food either. I'm convinced that this is this is <laughs> other things that are good for us or can be good for us or whatever. But do we put away for a period of time of seeking God's face? 
That's a convicting, that's still a convicting question. And then we have separation, and separation here is separating themselves from strangers. You know, they were intermingled with what was going on. And, you know, when we, when we find ourselves associated with others that have no business, <laughs> we, have, we find they have no interest in, in, in seeking God, then we must separate, and then the cry comes. Well, Mark, what, 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 what about what about reaching the lost? Yeah, there is a, such a thing as reaching the lost. Jonah went and reached the lost, right? Jonah was out there. He didn't want to go out there to reach the lost, but he did. He was forced to. And there is a difference between association on a regular basis and outreaching the lost. And so there was a separation, it says, from all strangers. Those that had no business part of the lineage, they were not interested. That's why they put the wall up, right? That's why Nehemiah put the wall up. So there was a separating that got on, and there was a confession. This is all coming out of verse 1 and 2 of chapter 9, okay? There was a there was a confession of their sins and their iniquities of their fathers. Very key to see that happen because we see Daniel did the same thing. I believe we go back to the early part of our book of Nehemiah. Nehemiah did the thing. There is a confession of my sins and there's a confession of the sins of our fathers. And that's what they did at that time. So I hope that helps in terms of the leap that we make from chapter eight to chapter nine is the fasting separation and confession. All right. Well, let's continue on. We got a little, a little beautiful chapter here to read to sit back and, and listen to as I so enjoy here. So it says in verse five, and the Levites, Keshua, Jeshua, Cadmiel, Bani, Hajabani, Sherebeth, Hodogjai, Shabaniah, and Pathenai said. Stand up and bless the Lord your God forever and ever. Blessed be your Lord, glorious name, which is exalted above all blessing and praise. You alone are the Lord. You have made heaven, the heaven of heavens with all their host, the earth and everything in it, the seas and all that is in them. And you preserve them all. The host of heaven worships you. You are the Lord God who chose Abram and brought him out of the Ur of the Chaldees and gave him the name Abraham. You found in his heart faithful before you and made a covenant with him to give the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Jebusites, and the Girgashites to give it to his descendants. You have performed your words for you are righteous. You saw the affliction of of our fathers in Egypt and heard their cry by the Red Sea. You showed signs and wonders against Pharaoh, against all his servants, and against all the people of his land, for you knew that they acted proudly against them. So you made a name for yourself, as it is this day, and you divided the sea before them, so they went through the midst of the sea on the dry land, and their persecutors you threw into the deep as a stone into the mighty waters. Moreover, you led them by day with a cloudy pillar and by night with a pillar of fire to give them light on the road which they should travel. You came down also on Mount Sinai and spoke with them from heaven. 
and gave them just ordinances and true laws, good statutes and commandments. You made known to them your holy Sabbath and commanded them precepts, statutes, and laws by the hand of Moses, your servant. You gave them bread from heaven for their hunger and brought them water out of the rock for their thirst and told them to go in to possess the land which you have sworn to give them. I'm going to stop right there and just just let's just feast on a few notes here. And that is they were fasting, they separated themselves, and they had confession, and they're making confession before God. And I think it's important to see this is, is that, and I, and I so want to go back to that verse 10. I want to go back for that verse 10 because this is what is, if you want to kind of look at what might a capstone thought uh, in the scriptures might be from, from cover to cover here, verse 10 here, it says, so you made a name for yourself as it is this day. You know, God wants to make a name for himself. He wants to be honored from his people. He started in the Garden of Eden, and it continue on down where God would want to have communion with his people. And so as they're recounting, as these people are recounting his goodness all the way through the, 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 the wilderness and such, it's, it's imperative to see how beautiful this is that God is being gracious. You know, interesting, I'm just going to hold one thing here. This is a beautiful thing. God did not bring the law to them first. He brought grace. The goodness of God unfolded. When they left, the, when they left the, he was good to them when, he, when they were in Egypt. And then he was good to them as they're heading out of the wilderness. He was given, the, he opened up the sea. They just mentioned that. He opened up the sea for them. He was giving them manna. He was giving them water. He was good to them beyond thing. And yet they said, we want a law, the law of God. And it's interesting how man wants to be put under law, even though he can't, he can't hold the law at all. He cannot hold the law. But God is gracious nonetheless. And so this first, this first few verses here, you know, he's, he's, he's being, they're recounting the goodness of God. It's so a thing. But now we get to verse 16. Verse 16, but. You always got to, when you look at the word but, you realize it's coming now, right? But they and our fathers acted proudly, hardened their necks, and did not heed your commandments. They refused to obey, and they were not mindful of your wonders that thou didst did among them, but they hardened their necks. And in their rebellion, they appointed a leader to return to their bondage. But you are God, ready to pardon, gracious and merciful, slow to anger, abundant in kindness, and did not forsake them. Even when they made a molded calf for themselves and said, this is your God that brought you up out of Egypt and worked great provocations. Yet in your manifold mercies, you did not forsake them in the wilderness. The pillar of the cloud did not depart from them by day to lead them on the road, nor the pillar of fire by night to show them light and the way they should go. You also gave them your good spirit to instruct them and did not withhold your manna from their mouth and gave them water for their thirst. You know, I thought that was interesting, that little phrase there. I'm going to highlight that here. 
<laughs> is that even even when they were sitting there complaining, remember they were complaining to the point where they even had they even had they were at, and the teeth was the the food was still in their mouth, the food was still in their teeth. It says, and he didn't withhold even even all the complaining that was going on and the criticisms even towards Moses. You did not withhold your manna from their mouth and gave them water for their thirst. You know, from a human perspective, you're just like, huh, you don't want that? All right, we'll just take it away. You know, that's just a common tactic being used. But God is so gracious, and he continues to give them the manna and their water. Forty years you sustained them in the wilderness. They lacked nothing. Their clothes did not wear out, and their feet did not swell. Moreover, you gave them kingdoms and nations and divided them into districts. So they took possession of the land of Sihon. The land of the king of Heshbon, and the land of king of Og, king of Bashan. You also multiplied their children as the stars of heaven, and you brought them into the land which you told their fathers to go in and possess. So the people went in and possessed the land, and you subdued before them the inhabitants of the land, the Canaanites, and you gave them into their hands with their kings and the people of the land that they might do with them as they wished. And they took strong cities and a rich land and possessed houses full of goods, cisterns already dug, vineyards and olive groves and fruit trees in abundance. So they ate and were filled and grew fat and delighted themselves in your great goodness. You know, I just want to stop right there and talk about what they were rolling into. Remember that when... Joshua and and Caleb said, we can go into the land. The the 12 spies went into into the land. The 12 spies went in and they said, we can go in. And they said, oh no, it's like grasshoppers. You know, little did they know what was waiting them, right? Little did they know they had orchards ready to go. The cisterns were full. The wells were full. The houses were plenty to stock. Everything was sitting there waiting for them. But they did not know what what, what was awaiting them. And God says, it's time to go up. You just, you just, you just was in Egypt a couple months ago. We brought you through the wilderness. Now we're going to go up. Now we're going to go up in the land. And, and, and those two came out and said, yeah, let's do it. And the 10 said, no, it's too big of a deal. So they decided to get a, you know, they tried to do it in their own means and they got, you know, beat up. We remember that. And then uh, they said, well, let's get us a leader. Let's get us a leader. Take us back to Egypt. God said, nope. You're all going to go out there for 40 years in the wilderness, and that's what they did. But just think about that for a moment. They had everything waiting for them, and they didn't take into account what was waiting for them. You know, and one thing I've enjoyed about Caleb is those 40 years, why you can read about it in Joshua. You can read of the account of, of Caleb coming to the land, and he's so appreciated after waiting out there for this brethren for 40 years. He had to hang with his brethren for 40 years. He wanted to go in, but in obedience, he went back out with his brethren for 40 years, and he enjoyed the land while he was out in the wilderness. How can that be? How can that be? Well, when he gets in back into the land 40 years later, he was he and, he and Joshua, the only ones coming back in, and lo and behold, the children, his his daughter says, I want a big piece. His son-in-law says, I want a big piece. They're carving up large portions of land for themselves. Beautiful thing to see what, how Caleb was enjoying that. But they, the children of Israel had all that at their disposal, but they had to wait another 40 years for it. It's just like you and I. 
We have all of the heavenly blessings to enjoy right now. We have it all that really enjoy for us. But right now, sometimes we have to go trudge out in the wilderness. And we don't want to enter into what God has for us right now. We do have this ability. And you can pick that up in Paul's doctrine. Ecclesians, Ephesians and Colossians and, and other places. You can pick up Paul's doctrine where we have all of our blessings in the heavenlies to enjoy right now. But anyway, I thought that was an interesting little piece there where they said they possessed houses full of goods, cisterns already dug, vineyards all of trees, and tree trees in abundance. They had it all available to them. Let's look at verse 26. Nevertheless, they were disobedient. There's the little word but. Nevertheless and but are kind of the same. And rebelled against you, cast your law behind their backs, and killed your prophets who testified against them to turn them to yourself, and they worked great provocations. Therefore you deliver them into the hand of their enemies who oppressed them, and in their time of their trouble, when they cried to you. You heard from heaven, and according to your abundant mercies, you gave them deliverers who saved them from the hand of their enemies. But after they had rest, they again did evil before you. Therefore you left them in the hand of their enemies, so they had dominion over them. Yet when they returned and cried out to you, you heard from heaven. And many times you delivered them according to your mercies and testified against them. They might bring them back to your law. But they acted proudly and did not heed your commandments, but sinned against your judgments, which if a man does, he shall live by them. And they shrugged their shoulders, stiffened their necks, and would not hear. Yet for many years you had a patience with them and testified against them by their spirit, by your spirit and your prophets, for they would not listen. Therefore you gave them into the hand of the peoples of the lands. Nevertheless, in your great mercy, you did not utterly consume them nor forsake them, for you are a God gracious and merciful. I'm going to highlight that. For you are a God gracious and merciful. Now, therefore, our God, the great, the mighty, and awesome God, who keeps covenant and mercy, do not let all the trouble seem small before you that has come upon us, our kings and our princes, our priests and our prophets, our fathers and all your people, from the days of the kings of Assyria unto this day. However, you are just in all that has befallen us, for you have dealt faithfully but we have done wickedly. Neither our kings nor our princes, our priests nor our fathers have kept your law, nor heeded your commandments and your testimonies with which you testified against them. For they have not served you in their kingdom or in the many good things that you gave them or in the large and rich land which you set before them, nor did they turn from their wicked works. Here we are, servants today, and the land that you gave to our fathers to eat its fruit and its bounty. Here we are, servants in it. And it yields much increase to the kings you have set over us. So the acknowledge right here, I'm going to stop right here too, is is they they are acknowledging the fact that this is, a, see, this is a day right now, right here in Nehemiah and Ezra and right before it too, where God is now taking, has taken the economy or the dominion, if you will, of the, of the world that time away from Israel over to the Gentiles. And so then we're going to quickly see the Gentile 
uh, kingdoms come on, and it says, and it yield and he yields much increase to the kings you have set over us. And so now the land of Israel at this time, you can see here it's talking about its fruit and its bounty. That's all going to the king, the Gentile monarchs, right? And they recognize that. They recognize that God has shifted that away. And the good news is there's going to be a day when it's going to shift back to Israel. <laughs> it's not today. Many people think it's today. Uh-uh. And the reason why it's not happening today is because Israel today does not own their Messiah, the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. There will be a day when he comes back and he establishes things, right? And they will own him as King of Kings and Lord of Lords, but that's not today. And that's when the land is going to be back in, in their thing, in their uh, realm. It says in verse 37, And it yields much increase to the kings you have set over us because of our sins. Also they have dominion over the bodies and our cattle at their pleasure. And we are in great distress. Because of all this, we make a sure covenant and write it. Our leaders, our Levites, and our priests seal it. All righty. Well, I want to leave you with seven, seven points here of the revival and kind of what people come up with here. And I think it's very important to see this is to recognize when this term revival is kicked around a lot, there are specific characteristics that come with revivals as we see in the scriptures, okay? So let's go ahead and take a peek here at the, at the seven of them. First of all, back to verse six. God is owned as unchanging and eternal. Isn't that beautiful? Is that, the, that are, the, he is recognized as being unchanging and eternal. That's verse six. We also have another attribute, another quality coming out of verse six. God is owned as the creator of all. That's a good one too. And then moving on to another one in verse six, God is owned as the sustainer of all, not just the creator, but also the sustainer again in verse six. And then in verse seven, we have another attribute. God is owned as sovereign. And so this is, you know, this is, this brings me to a point where today, you know, when the Lord Jesus was given to us in the new Testament he is known as the Lord Jesus Christ, not merely just Jesus or merely not Jesus Christ, but Lord Jesus Christ. That gives full title to who he is. He is sovereign and as is Lord of my life as well. And then God is owned as the giver of unconditional promises. And you can pick that up in verse 8. God is owned as the giver of unconditional promises. And does he not have promise for you and I? If you know the Lord Jesus is your Savior, can you not have the promises in him as well as the giver of these promises? We have different promises today than those in, in, in Nehemiah's day. We as believers have a heavenly calling. Pick that up again in, in what we have in the Apostles' Doctrine. We have a heavenly calling and there are definitely unconditional promises there as well. And then we also have God is owned, in verse 8, as faithful to his word. And so that's, I mean, we always come to him. We know that he is faithful to his word. Lastly, from verses 9 through 15, we have another one. As God is owned in his ways of grace and power. He's owned in his ways. And he has his ways. And that's what's a beautiful thing is he has his ways in your life. He has his ways in my life. 
He has his ways in the body of, of his own body, the church that's waiting for him. He has his ways. And yes, it's ways of grace and it's ways of power as well. Well, I hope that helps. If you've got any comments, any questions, you're welcome to go ahead and drop those in the side over on Facebook and YouTube. Always happy to interact with folks that uh, ping me up a little bit, but I'm hoping you're enjoying this. We'll take up chapter 10 next next time, and I hope that you can join us for that. And certainly, if you can, go ahead and tell somebody else, too, a little about what we're doing over here and, and have them join us maybe for the last couple chapters. Wouldn't that be nice to kind of pick that up in the last couple chapters of Nehemiah as we come out of here? So with that, may God richly bless you. And we'll see you tomorrow at the Lord Terry.